Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, starting with verse 6, we find the prophecy that we just sang about. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is just one of the many, many prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the arrival of the Messiah. All of these prophecies pointing directly to Jesus Christ alone. And you look back over all of these prophecies and you see how God orchestrated events, orchestrated world happenings, orchestrated the most minute of details to bring to pass exactly the reality that he wanted to come to pass. And some of you have heard, if you've been around very long, you've heard us talk numerous times about how God prepared the world for the arrival of the Messiah and how God prepared the world more specifically for the gospel message that the Messiah would bring. We've talked about how in the in-between time, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, those so-called 400 years of silence, that 400-year span of prophetic silence, there were no angelic visitations, there were no books of the Bible written during that time, there was no prophecy that was recorded during that time. We call them 400 years of silence. I refer to them as a 400 not-so-quiet years of silence because all sorts of things were going on in the world at that time. Kingdoms were rising and kingdoms fell. You find that individuals strove for power and then were deposed. You find that country was pitted against country, nation against nation. All sorts of things were going on during that 400-year span. And in that 400-year span, Alexander the Great rose to power, just as God had said he would in the book of Daniel. Alexander the Great rose to power and he conquered the known world. And as he conquered the known world, he spread the Greek language. And so the common language of the day, even years after Alexander's passing, the common language of the day was not Latin. The common language of the day of the whole area was Greek. Interesting that the New Testament most largely, or for the largest part, was written in Greek. The message of the gospel spread in Greek. We find the Roman road system. After the Romans took over after the Greeks, the Roman road system connected the vast empire. They connected these far-flung regions of the empire. People could travel very quickly. They could trade very quickly. Messages could be transmitted very quickly to the outermost parts of this empire. And those are the same Roman roads that the gospel spread on. And then we talk about the Pax Romana, P-A-X, the Pax, the peace of Rome. 
that Rome, because of its military rule, brought a season of relative peace in the region. And we say that all of these things combined was, was orchestrated, these things were orchestrated by God to set the world stage for the coming of the Messiah and the message of the gospel. And that is absolutely true. But sometimes we have this mistake. Whenever we say that Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, brought a season of relative peace, we need to understand what we mean by that. We're not saying it was completely and totally peaceful. We're saying that you find that Rome was not doing major battles with other nations, but internally there was all sorts of strife. Internally it was anything but peaceful, and internally in the region of Judea, in, in this place where the Messiah would be born, in this, in this area we find that it was anything but peaceful. And so today, I would like for us just to take a few moments and think about this idea of peace on earth, but with that, a little caveat, some restrictions apply. Because it wasn't that universal peace. It wasn't that everything was at peace. In fact, there were lots of things that were not at peace. So as we get started this morning, let me just tell you just a little story here to set the stage of the world into which the Messiah was born. We find, if you read the Bible, that Caesar Augustus said that there was to be a census. He decreed there was to be a census. And that census was to determine how many people that they had in the area that they were governing, how many people that they could, they could uh, get military forces from, but also for taxation purposes. That was the main purpose. It's been said, and it's been uh, speculated, and kind of looking at all the historical accounts, that the Roman taxes required anywhere from 50 to 60% of a family's goods. Over half of what they were growing, over half of what they owned, would be given to Rome. It was said in the day that you would, you would plant one field for your family and then another field for Rome. That didn't sit well. But Caesar Augustus, his name, his title, Augustus meaning the exalted one, Caesar the exalted one sent out this decree, and this decree was so that everyone was going to be counted, so they would know how many taxes they could collect from the people in the area. And you just didn't have Caesar, Augustus, ruling over the land from afar. You had a client king, as it was called kind of a puppet king in the person of King Herod. Now, King Herod wasn't a Jew. King Herod was from a region called Edumia, or Edumia, and that was located down south of the Dead Sea. The Edumia, it, it, it's spelled with an I-D-U-M-E-A, Edumia, but it comes from the word Edom, E-D-O-M. And who were the Edomites? They were the descendants of Esau. So you've got this, this perennial enemy of the Jewish people, now installed by Rome as the ruler over the Jewish people. They didn't like him very much. He embraced Greco-Roman culture. And most historians agree that he was mentally unstable, if not outright insane. 
He operated from a place of paranoia. He had his own family members assassinated if he thought that they were trying to take over his throne. He was an angry person. He was a disturbed person. And this was the person who was ruling over this area at this time. So you had this client king in the person of King Herod. You had Romans ruling over them. And though the Jews had been able to return to their home and they were no longer in exile in some far-flung country, in a very real way, they were exiles now in their own country. They were not in control of what went on in their own land. This is the world into which Jesus was born. And into that turmoil, as these Romans were marching the paving stones with their hobnailed boots in this this ancient police state, we find that there were four groups of people that rose up. And these four groups of people were trying to get the ear of the people to follow them and their way of addressing all of these problems, to bring peace. The Pharisees rose up and they said, we have to go back to traditional religion. We have to depend upon and hold everybody to this traditional religious view, and we've got to follow the law, and it's a very legalistic approach. And then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees, these other religious leaders, they had embraced Greek culture. They were like the progressives of the day. And they were saying, yeah, but we can both coexist. We can adopt Greek culture and we can have this idea of Judaism and we can, we can weave them together in a really, really comfortable way of living. Then you had the Essenes. The Essenes basically said, no, we're not having any part of it. They were sort of the preppers of the day. The Essenes went down and lived in some caves down by the Dead Sea. Just said, we're just going to get away from it all. We're going to go away from town. We're going to go and we're going to live in our caves. And we'll just separate ourselves till all of it blows over. And then you had the zealots. And the zealots believed that armed conflict, an armed overthrow of the government was exactly the way to go. You look at these four groups and then you turn on the news and you say, I recognize these people. We have the same thing going on in our land today. And each one of these groups in the time of Jesus was competing for the power and they were competing for the ear of the people because they believed that their method was the method that was going to bring the peace so into this situation the the overtaxation and all of the political turmoil and and the police state and feeling like exiles in their own country then you had this little area north of jerusalem up in galilee And when the Galileans came to town, when the Galileans showed up in Jerusalem, there was always trouble because the Galileans were always stirring up stuff. These were the farmers and the fishermen and the villagers, and they're the ones that were feeling the brunt of all this taxation. And so when it was time to come to Jerusalem for one of the pilgrim feasts, the Romans were all very on guard because they knew, here come the locals, and the locals aren't happy with us. They're not happy with Herod. And whenever they arrive in Jerusalem, it was just another one of those reminders that they were not in control. And Jerusalem itself, if not all of Judea, was just, it was, a, it was a boiling pot. It was a powder keg. It was very, very tenuous, this, this kind of internal peace that they were trying to strive for. And it's into this world that Jesus is born. And when Jesus is born into this world, 
We find that the shepherds are out there in Bethlehem keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angels make the proclamation that we find in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I know we may read that and we say, wait, 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 wait. That's not the right translation. The way it goes is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's the way it goes. But when you look at the text, we normally look at peace on earth, goodwill toward men as just that. There's going to be peace on earth. Jesus is going to come in and he brings peace on earth. And then there's goodwill toward man, goodwill toward each other. But when you really look at what the text says, it doesn't say that. It says that there will be peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. If we want to use the goodwill verse or goodwill line, the idea is this. Peace on earth to those to whom God has shown his goodwill. That's the idea. Now, granted, that does mean that whenever we receive that that favor from God and that, that relationship with God, we are to extend that to others, absolutely. But the idea here is there are some restrictions. It doesn't mean there's universal peace when the Messiah shows up. Now, one day there will be, but it doesn't mean that everything is going to be peaceful when Jesus comes to earth. In fact, Jesus himself said, that's not the case. Listen to, listen to uh, Isaiah verse, or actually, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. The words of Jesus. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus says, I, I, didn't, I didn't come to bring peace. In fact, I'm the dividing line. In fact, I'm going to cause some conflict. In fact, following me is going to create a great unrest in some ways. So what do we make of Jesus saying, I haven't come to bring peace? And what do we make of the angels saying that he is going to come and there will be peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased? Well, here's the idea. Just one point today. Only peace with God will lead to the peace of God. If we're going to see in our lives, our church, our community, our nation, if we're going to see the peace of God, that true lasting peace that only comes through peace with God, that we are brought into a right relationship with God, that is the only way that we can know true peace. Listen to what Isaiah records in Isaiah 48, verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. For those who are outside of the peace of God, of peace with God, if there's no peace with God, if there's still enmity with God, there's no lasting peace for that person. There's no lasting peace for that nation. There's no peace because there are some restrictions that apply. This peace of God requires peace with God. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. 
So you find the psalmist writing in Psalm 2 that the nations are rebelling against God. The nations are pushing back against God. The nations are saying, no, 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 we're going to do our own thing in our own way. And God just sits and he laughs. Hmm. You really think you have control of this? He might say. You really think you rule over all things? Caesar Augustus, Augustus, that title meaning, remember, the exalted one. Here's Caesar Augustus saying, peace has come. There was a temple in Rome that existed for many years, and it was the temple of the Roman god Janus, spelled J-A-N-U-S. It's from, from that word we get our word January from. It's, it's a god who was two-faced, one face looking backward, one face looking forward. And that's why January is referred to as January from Janus. This is the end of one year, the beginning of another year. But this, in this temple of Janus, they had two entrances to this temple. But you, depending on which side you went in, you would see one or the other face of this two-faced god. But it became a tradition at some point in time when Rome was at peace, they would close the gates to the temple. They would close the gates of Janus so that no one had to go into the temple because that was the God they would pray to to defend Rome. And so whenever peace came, they would close the gates because the idea is we don't need that God. We don't need Janus right now. We can just keep him For emergency purposes only, we can close these gates. And there was a big ceremonial to do whenever those gates were closed. Do you know who closed those gates at one point in time? Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, who declared that decree that everyone should be taxed, closed those gates to that temple. Thus declaring to Rome, we're at peace. The exalted one said, we're at peace. We're at true peace, finally. And then you have the angels showing up to the shepherds saying, glory to God in the highest. Not this exalted one, not this person who has this human title. No, 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 no. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace toward those with whom he is pleased. Not some self-declared peace of Rome. No, 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 no. Peace with God himself. That's where true peace comes from. Doesn't matter what the exalted one says. The one who is above all has made his declaration. He is the one who brings true peace. Not some Roman rule and not some pretender to a throne that was installed in the person of Herod. No, no. The one true king. God rules over all. All things are ruled over. So how can we know this peace? How can we know that kind of peace? Paul tells us in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick up with verse 15. He, that being Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By the way, let's just side note here. This isn't in the notes, but this is free. That word image is a word that means the exact imprint of something. It's the idea of striking a coin. And you have the exact imprint of that that master die that you use to make that coin. That's what Paul says here. He is the exact imprint 
of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. Everything that makes God, God, Jesus is that. It's not that he's some counterfeit image or some lesser image or some created being. No, he is fully God, except in the flesh. He is the exact imprint, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn means he's the preeminent one over all things. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, look at this, through him and for him. He made them for himself, for his purposes. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together all things hold together you've heard me tell the story whenever i was teaching one time we we, i was i was doing a bible class and i was teaching through this when i was teaching a group of students and we were talking about this verse and i said do you realize that We are held together, the very universe, the very fabric, the substance of the universe is held together. Matter is held together by God's divine will that our molecules hold together. And I said, do you realize that if God so deemed it, he could just think the thought, speak the word, and any one of us could just dematerialize because we hold together we, we are sustained together by God. And this one little kid went into total meltdown mode. You mean to tell me we could dematerialize? I was like, well, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying that God holds us together. And they said, you mean to tell me that if God just decided to, then we could just be gone? And I said, well, yeah, I suppose. And he just said, oh my goodness, that would be horrible. And then in one of those teaching moments where I thought I was going to be helpful, I thought, well, might as well just further this thought. I said, well, you know, not only could he make somebody dematerialize and just blip to pieces to, to the atomic level, I mean, God, if he wanted to, could erase that person's memory from everybody's memory banks that ever knew them. It would be like the person never even existed. And one of the kids spoke up and said, do you think he would ever do that? And I said, how would you know if he did? (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't get more calls from parents whenever I was a teacher. But God rules over all things. As one writer said, there are no rogue atoms in the universe. There are no rogue molecules in the universe. No, God is over them all. God is the sovereign Lord God. That should give us a a sense of great comfort and peace, knowing that God rules over all things. Even when the world is totally and completely without peace in the time of Jesus, there's this religious fervor and religious confusion and there's political unrest and there's military rule and there's there's all sorts of people vying for attention and there's there's societal uprising and financial hardship and in the middle of all that God says I'm still God I'm still ruling over it I am ruling over your 2020 I'm ruling over your 2021 and I will be the ruler over 2022 and there beyond I am still God. Back to Colossians 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Christ, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, here it is, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How do we know the peace of God? We have to first be at peace with God. How are we at peace with God? Making peace by the blood of his cross. It is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus alone that we can know lasting peace. That's the only way. And when you have the peace of God, when you have that peace from God because you are at peace with God, then some things change. Listen to what Jesus says about his peace. This is in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Now he just talks about general peace there, but then he specifies, he gets down to a much more personal level. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives, he says, that's the peace that I have. How at peace do you think Jesus is? Completely at peace. And he gives us his peace. He says, not as the world gives do I give. No. World's peace, that's not the kind of peace I'm giving. Closing the gates of Yanis to the temple and making some big proclamation when really things are not going that well internally. No, that's not not the peace I give. Rule by the military, that's going to bring peace. No, that's that's the way the world gives peace. Financial security? No, it's not how I give peace. Maybe it's uh, you know, p- political power? No. Religious fervor even? No, no. Jesus says, that's not, that's not how I give peace. Not as the world gives do I give. No, I give you my peace. I give you my peace, this peace of God that comes from peace with God, and that's only through my sacrifice. That's the kind of peace that Jesus gives. And when you have that kind of peace, your hearts don't have to be troubled. And your heart doesn't have to fear. Situations arise, and yeah, they, are, they look dangerous. Yeah, situations arrive, and they look, they look threatening. Situations arise, and yes, they look disheartening. But at the same time, we can say, yeah, but I got the peace from God. I have the peace of God because I'm at peace with God. The most serious issue has already been settled on the cross. And so I can be at peace in the middle of my situation. I know this holiday season, there's just been a lot of turmoil in a lot of people's lives. Some of you came up to me the other day. I've had a few people come up and say, sorry to hear about your family's loss again. We've had a number of family members just the last few months. My family just suddenly just passed away, large number of them. And it's just been one after another, after another, after another. And, and the other day, I was, just, I was just sitting in my office and I thought, Lord... Lord. But at the same time, I was saying, okay, but God, you're the God of peace. I'm not going to allow my heart to be troubled. I'm not going to be afraid of this. Lord, you're, you're in control of all this. And Lord, the, these loved ones that, that we've had in our family just pass away one after another after another. Lord God, we, we know where they are. And yeah, they're going to be missed this holiday season. But we have peace knowing that there's they're with you celebrating that brings us great peace that's not the peace the world gives that's a peace that comes from being at peace with god listen to john 16 i have said these things to you the words of jesus i've said these things to you that in me you may have peace how do we have peace in 
Christ, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's Jesus born into this world. And Jesus is saying, the peace the world gives you, it's not the kind of peace I'm giving you. And by the way, don't let the world bother you because I've overcome it. He's saying, I don't just give peace that's different from the world. I don't give, just give peace that is qualitatively different than what the best the world has to offer is. No, no, no. He says, I've even overcome the world. It's not that I'm in competition with them like, oh, they're giving this peace. I'm giving better peace. He's like, no, am I giving better peace? I've overruled all of them. I rule over everything. I'm, yeah, you're going to have pain. Yeah, you're going to have tribulation. But you're going to be able to go through it with peace. How do you access this after you have relationship with Christ? That's the first point. The first step is you have to have relationship with Christ. If you're going to know true peace, you have to be in relationship with God through Jesus. That's it. Every other kind of peace is going to fail. But we can be at peace with God through the blood of the cross. That Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death that we deserved, by the way, on the cross. And if we trust that sacrifice by faith and we surrender our lives to him, we turn from our sin, from ourself, and turn solely to Jesus and trust in him, trust that his sacrifice was sufficient, and throw ourselves upon his mercy and surrender to him, then we'll be saved. That's it. And then we are no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer enemies of God, but we are brought into his family. We're reconciled to him, brought back into right relationship with him. We have peace with God. Then after we receive that peace, it's really easy for us as followers of Christ to get really anxious, to get really nervous, to really get really fractious when we start thinking about things and we start looking at all the ways that things seem to be going south and everything starts to get western all of a sudden and then we're trying to figure out heads or tails, trying to make ends meet here and trying to figure out a course of action and it just seems like the ground just keeps shifting at every turn. So how do we live with that kind of peace? Paul tells us. In the book of Philippians, Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And then notice what he says the response is. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God will set a guard over your heart and over your mind when your life is saturated with prayer and surrender to him. He will. Worry can't live in an atmosphere of prayer. It can't. It's impossible. It's, it's, just like, it's like starving the oxygen from something. You saturate the environment of your life with prayer Worry cannot coexist in that atmosphere. Now, it may take a little bit to breathe its last gasp, but you've got to keep continually bathing your life in that atmosphere of prayer. But the Word of God tells us the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may not even completely, it says it surpasses all understanding. That means you're not even going to grasp it. There are going to be situations that you're in and you're going to say, yeah, but I'm at peace. Can't explain it, but I'm at peace. Don't know how how else to explain it other than it's God, but I'm at 
peace. I don't know about you. I could use that kind of peace this season. I could use that kind of peace. I've been seeking that kind of peace. I had some instances over the last few days that I just had to say, okay, God, 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 God. I'm concerned and I'm worried. And I know the reason I'm concerned and I'm worried because I haven't, I haven't taken this and brought it into an atmosphere of prayer. I've been trying to figure it out myself, do it myself. Trying to figure out what's the peace the world offers instead of the peace that Jesus has given. And maybe you're in that same, that same boat. Maybe you're in that same place where there are some things that have happened maybe over the last few weeks or a few months or a few days or even a few hours and you are uneasy. You are, you are in a sense of dis-ease. You are, you are concerned or worried or fretted or and you're looking forward to the, maybe the holidays and the, the coming of Christmas and the turning of the new year and you're thinking about all these things and you're just overwhelmed and overburdened. Can I tell you, leave that with God. Go pray about that. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, rule over, guard, set a military guard, a military troop over your hearts and over your minds. Because the peace that is accessible to us is the very same peace that Jesus himself enjoys. And that peace of God comes through peace with God and that peace with God happens only through the cross of Christ. And if you have experienced that that peace with God through the cross of Christ, the peace of God is accessible and available to each of us who are followers of Christ. It's not somewhere out there and you got to work really hard to try to get to it. No, 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 no. He's offering it. He gives it. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself grant you, give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now may the Lord of peace himself, may the Lord himself, May the Lord Jesus himself give you peace when? At all times. How? In every way. Whatever family issue, may he give you peace. Whatever's going on at work, may he grant you peace. Whatever is going on with you personally, whether it's a financial issue or maybe an emotional, some sort of emotional turmoil or, or some sort of worry or fear or doubt that you're experiencing, in, at all times, in every way, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And notice what it says. The Lord be with you all. It's the peace of his presence. See, that's the most beautiful thing of it all, of all of it. This peace with God that will lead if we trust in him. That peace with God that leads to peace of God. The only way we have that peace of God is because we are with, or more accurately, the Lord of peace, the God of peace, is with us. God with us. Emmanuel. That's, that's the beauty of it all. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace with those, with those 
upon those with whom God is pleased. How, how do we please God? We're in Christ. The only way to please God is through Christ. And if we're in Christ, we can know lasting peace. Not only this season, but in all the seasons to come. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace with those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We're thankful for the peace that we have in Christ. We're thankful for the reality that into our world, whether it is 2021, America, or whether it's first century Judea, we recognize that amid all the turmoil and all the political jockeying for position, all the talking heads and screaming voices, all the things that go on that try to draw our attention away from you, just as, just as they did all those years ago, that world into which Jesus was born. Those things were still going on. Father, in the midst of all of that hubbub, in the midst of all that noise, in the midst of all that lack of peace, we're so thankful that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He rules over all things. He is the King of all creation. And so, Father, this season, no matter what each of us may be facing, no matter what personal or family turmoil, whatever, vocational struggle or whatever weight that burden that we have for what's going on all around our nation and the world as a whole father may we remember that you are the god of peace and one day you're going to bring true lasting universal peace all's going to be set right but that's not what's happening right now but we we through christ get to get glimpses of what that's going to be like when you start bringing that peace, that security, that comfort, that functional relaxation to our hearts. So Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody watching or listening who is right now, they're not at peace with you because they've never made a decision to follow Christ. I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to Jesus because of the blood that he shed, because of his perfect sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, because of that sacrifice, our sins are paid for. And we must trust Christ, surrender to him, turn from our sin, turn from ourself, turn from any other way to try to bridge that gap between you and us. And trust Christ alone. I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to Jesus. Father, I pray for anybody here who may be wrestling with peace this season. With everything that's been going on in our lives, Father, maybe people right now who are just burdened, who are grieving, who are hurting, who are worried, who are fearful, who are doubtful. Father, I pray that the peace that comes from Christ alone would rule over their hearts and their minds and that they would continually take these concerns to you in prayer and they might know they might know that peace that passes all understanding 
that peace that Jesus himself gives as the Prince of Peace, as the Lord of all peace. Father, I pray that if there's any decision that needs to be made in this time, Father, I pray you would grant your boldness in making that decision. And we ask these things in Christ's name.